0: Over the years in my ministry, I've often referenced my life before Jesus. It was pretty uh, full of sin, you know, and that's, you know, I mean, what do you expect from a lost person? I know I asked that question, it's kind of a rhetorical question, but the reality is I think oftentimes we expect lost people to act saved. But they're not going to. But anyways, but I've made a lot of references over the years to my life before Jesus, to who I was, to to all of those things, to my rampant sinfulness, to the adulterous affairs that I've had, to all of these kind of things that have gone on in my life and, and and are part of who I am in the Lord at this point. And many times, not all of the time, but many times, this has upset church people. I've had people get upset about me talking about having extramarital affairs before I came to the Lord. Like, a qualification for being a pastor is that you never screwed up before, you know, in the past. That was never a problem, that you never had any issues in life. Really? I don't see that anywhere in the Word, but... Um, but people they get upset about it sometimes, and and they even say things like, you know, he really needs to stop talking about all that sin he used to be involved in. I even had a guy in church that I pastored that I planted. His name was Ryan. And when Ryan and Leanne left the church, they said, I cannot attend a church where the pastor has struggled with sin. They couldn't take that I had ever had any issues in my life. Now, I never understood this. I never understood why people got upset by my discussing this stuff. I use my old life, my sinfulness and all that, as fodder for my sermons. There's a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm most familiar with those illustrations. I don't preach with a lot of notes. I have just kind of memory triggers. And and so I'm familiar with those. I have said this before. I will say this again. I am the world's leading expert on my own testimony. Just like you are the world's leading expert on your own testimony. No one can refute it. They weren't there for all of it, right? You're the expert on it. So, So I use this, you know... And I talk about this stuff all the time, and I never really got why it upset people so much. But this week, as I was reading scriptures, as I was reading the scriptures for preparation, it came to me as I was reading Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, about why sometimes people get upset by this. It just clicked in me this major reason that people sometimes get a little miffed about my past sin life. And with that idea in mind about why people get upset about my past sin life, you've got to keep that in your head while we read this. Okay, that's the thing we're looking at. Like, why would... Because this says why. Why people get upset by that. We are going to read the passage together and I want to see if it jumps out to you why. Okay? So I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. You follow along in your Bible because it may, the translation that you may be using might be different and it might be more helpful to you to read along with that and see it. Okay. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 through 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true forms of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices, that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. Right? Just pause real quick. So the Old Testament, all the sacrifices, he's saying here, those sacrifices never could really, because they're just a shadow of the things that come, they never could really do what they make anybody perfect. Those who draw near, right? Otherwise, they would they would cease to be offered if they if they perfected the conscience, if they washed those things away. Because people would no longer have any consciousness of sin. I'm helping you. Consciousness of sin. Consciousness. That's part of this thing to click here, okay? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every single stinking year. That's the Jerry Breedlove Amplified version. <laughs> right there's a reminder of these sins every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins consequently when christ came into the world he said sacrifices and offerings you've not desired but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure then i said behold i have come to do your will O god as it is written of me in the scroll of the book And when he said, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he added, behold, I come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Do you see the connection? It's right there. If you can't see the connection, would it be okay if I helped you see the connection with why people sometimes get miffed about this? Now, I guess before I, before I explain the connection to you, I at least ought to tell you what it is that I'm trying to explain, right? Just give you like the one little phrase that I'm trying to explain, okay? The passage actually talks a lot about leaving the past behind. That's the issue, is leaving the past behind. That's the connection that we're trying to see here. We need to leave the past behind. But really, that's an oversimplification. Because it's not that I'm not leaving the past behind when I talk about my sin before Jesus. It's that I'm leaving the past behind in a different way than the people who get upset about my past are leaving it behind. We're both trying to leave it behind, but different ways. And the passage says about a particular way to do that. Now, I know some of you are like, I, I don't, really? Out of this passage is talking about leaving the past behind. I, I promise it will make sense as we go through. I know some of you might be confused. I confuse myself sometimes. So I get it, Right? So before we go through and clear this up, let's ask the one who has all the answers to speak. Because even if I have the most eloquent words and he doesn't speak, we won't get it. But if my words make me sound as dumb as a brick and he speaks, we'll still understand. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask you through your Holy Spirit to illumine this passage passage of scripture to us lord may this thing make sense to us in a way that's never made sense before lord would you speak to us and would you help us today to come to an understanding of what it really means to leave the past behind we love you we want to serve you and yet we struggle to do so and so we confess that to you today and we ask you to take over and empower us in our weakness it's in Jesus name we pray and God's people said Amen see the person who is bothered by my old sin life doesn't have a New Testament mentality they have an Old Testament mentality The person who struggles with me mentioning sins that I used to struggle with, that used to be in my life, they, they, they might say that, well, I'm a New Testament believer. But they are acting in an old covenant way. And this old covenant mentality, unfortunately, is far more prevalent in the church than we'd like to admit. The author of Hebrews explains this old covenant mentality in verses 1-4 through 4 of chapter 10. So let's get, let's get our minds wrapped around what the Old Covenant mentality is. Let's read it together. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins." But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. See, this Old Testament mentality that is so prevalent in the church today is this idea that the continual yearly sacrifices under the law did not cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. Instead, it served as a reminder of their sinfulness. When people struggle with me mentioning the sins of my past, they are reminded of sinfulness. Not not they don't say, oh, this still is affecting me. This still is affecting you. It's like the blood didn't actually wash anything away. It's like we're embarrassed or ashamed. Let me help you to understand this a little bit more. The the oppressive nature of this constant reminder for the people must have done some things. Like one of the things that it probably did was it probably stole the joy away from being one of God's chosen people because the worshiper was repeatedly reminded of their many failures. I mean, think about this. If the blood of bulls and goats didn't actually remove sin, and so every year when the yearly sin sacrifices are made, I'm reminded of my brokenness, I'm reminded of my sinfulness, I'm reminded of my rebelliousness against God, and nothing has been fixed. Wow, that's got to be oppressive. Right? So It's like, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord, I'm drowning in my sin. Here I am, crushed under this stuff. Here I am, being, being all the joy of being one of your chosen people, just being sapped out of me because I'm standing here again, and I'm watching something happen again and again and again and again. Because I cannot measure up. Because I am so bad at this. And every year, I have to be reminded of this. And every time I commit an unintentional sin, I've got to make these sacrifices. And every time I commit an intentional sin, I've got to do these things. And I'm just constantly being bombarded and reminded that I am a failure. church I see that happen way too often I have people who are aggressively almost violently resisting the idea that we are saints who sometimes sin they're like no I'm a sinner and I'm like no that's an old testament mentality That's an oppressive mentality. To be reminded over and over and over again of our constant failures. And it gets worse because I think with some people, they're better at at the outward stuff. They're better at putting on the mask. They're better at faking the funk. Playing church. Whatever you want to call it. And so, well, uh, you know, Ron, he's so holy. And, and I'm never going to measure up because, you know, Ron's so holy. Right? And it sets these other people up as doing a better job, which in turn just makes me feel more like a slug. Or if I'm doing a better job than you, which is my pride speaking, I have to come up and correct everything you're doing. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to say, I want to give a little. I want to go off on a little rabbit trail here. I'm not saying that pastors and preachers should not correct people when they're going astray. They should. But that is a particular calling that particular people have in their life to lead a congregation, to lead a flock of people, and it's not everybody's calling. You're not the sin police. I want you to understand this oppressive nature. I want you to be thinking, is this the mentality that I have? Another thing that it did is I think it caused the worshippers to look at God with fear and loathing rather than love and adoration. Now listen, the Scriptures teach us in the Old Testament to fear the Lord our God, and that does not simply mean awe and reverence. That would be an incorrect interpretation of the word that's translated fear there. You should be scared of God. A lot of what happens in life is because we have no fear of God. Well, I'm going to go do this because, you know, God, he's not going to do anything about it. Some people, you know, it's fear like this. How many of you, don't raise your hand because I I don't really want to know. How many of you do not fear your mortgage company repossessing your house if you stop making the payment? Some of you might not fear your mortgage company repossessing your house. But most of us have common sense enough to fear that if we stop making the payment. Hence, we keep making the payment. That's a fear thing. Not a terror thing, but And we have to fear the Lord like that, okay? That's not what I'm saying, but look at Him with fear and loathing. I'm talking about looking at Him with fear and loathing like I can't be around Him. I can't be in His presence. If I walk in the church building, it's going to collapse on me. Because God is just standing there ready to smite me for my many failures. I don't want to get close to God because I know as I approach Him, He's going to be like, bow, and smack me down and bloody my lip. This fear and loathing. That's the kind of fear I'm talking about. That's the fear that God doesn't want us to have. I love my dad, my earthly dad. And I know my earthly dad loves me. But let me tell you something. I feared him too. If you're a dad and you love your kids, your kids will have a healthy dose of fear of you. And that won't stop them from running across the room when you come home and jumping in your arms. But they also know, I can't push Daddy that far. Right? We need to be looking at God with love and adoration, but I think this Old Testament mentality stops us from looking at Him with love and adoration and instead causes us to look at Him with fear and loathing. And I think that ultimately all three of these things lead to the stifling of exuberant worship. I'm going to borrow this. This is too big, but it's the right color. I have no problem at the Steelers game, waving my terrible towel, right? I'm exuberant. If I'm a cheese head, Green Bay, I will stand out in the freezing cold, paint it up, exuberant about the Packers. Right? But I stand in worship. Like this morning. Jesus, worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us. Son of God and man, you are high and lifted up. And all the world will praise your great name, Redeemer, Defender, right? No, I mean, we're all laughing, but I mean, seriously, how many times have you been sitting there singing going, oh, for crying out loud, like, can we just get by this? I've got no word, I, I don't want to sing this stupid song. By the way, Mark, it's not a stupid song. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm in their head. Okay. So, you know, it stifles exuberant worship. I mean, when we when we when we're oppressed, when we have this fear and loathing, when we have all of these things, I don't want to stand up and talk about God's great name. I don't want to get excited. I don't want to lift up my holy hands in prayer and praise and say, "Universal sign of surrender, Lord. I'm here." I don't want to get my I don't want to get my flag from Nathaniel <laughs> and spin it because well I'm going to look stupid and people are going to think that I'm faking and all of these things and well because I am we're we're afraid to express ourselves. I mean, seriously, nobody who pays to go to a Steelers game is afraid to express themselves. Nobody who pays to go to a Pirates game is afraid to express themselves. Nobody who pays to go to a Pins game is afraid to express themselves. The only time you see them not expressing themselves is when we get in a whooping. And then we're like this. <sighs> you know? But we'll we'll express, but I think that that lack of worship doesn't come out of, I'm not comfortable, this is is just too much for me. I think it comes out of this Old Testament mentality of I don't have love and adoration for God, and so I'm not going to get excited about God. But I'll let you wrestle with that. See, there, in this this passage, in verse 3, it says, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Being a reminder was the intention of the law with its sacrifices. They were never to make the worshiper perfect and holy. Instead, they were meant to point to Jesus. Jesus. But some of us are still living like we're in the Old Testament times where every time we consider our sinfulness, our past actions, and all of those, it's just a reminder of what a loser we were. It's just a reminder of our terrible childhood. It's just a reminder of our failed marriage. It's just a reminder of getting fired from that job. It's just a reminder of that lost contract. It's just a reminder of my kids who have gone astray. But that's the Old Testament is this reminder to point us towards Jesus. The author of Hebrews is quoting an Old Testament passage when he quotes this in, in, in verses uh, 5 and 6 and 7. He's quoting, or she is quoting, Psalm 46 through 8. This is the place in the Old Testament where it basically says that the Old Testament sacrificial system was never... And now I'm going to go kind of old school on you. Some of you will get it ever. You know who did that. Some of you don't know who did that. And if you don't know who did it, it's okay. But it's never ever meant to be permanent. Instead, it was pointing the way forward. I mean, you can't get any more explicit than that. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. But a body you've prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken zero pleasure. They were never meant to be permanent. In other words, worshipers in the Old Testament needed to be reminded of their times of sinfulness and their need for a Savior because the Savior had not yet come. This was all pointing to Jesus. He had not yet come. And so they needed to be reminded of this constant need for a Savior. That the Messiah, He is coming. Be ready for Him. All of these prophecies, all of these things pointing towards Jesus. The whole sacrificial system pointing towards Jesus. And the repetition over and over and over again. Saying, this isn't complete yet. This is not my intention yet. God never intended the Old Testament to be the end of the story. Not even for the Jews. Modern day Jews who are trusted in the Old Testament system are going to go to hell when they die. They're not going to be in heaven just because they're Jewish. It was never meant to be permanent. It was pointing towards Jesus. And I love Jewish people. I'm not trying to belittle them. I'm just saying, Jesus... Was a Jew who came to fulfill the requirements of the law so that they no longer be under this oppressiveness, but they would have freedom. Verse 9 says that Jesus came and replaced the old with the new. Then he added, Behold, I come to do your will. And when he did this, he said, With the first <clears throat> he does away with the first in order to establish the second. Let me just tell you in somebody else's words, somebody who's a lot smarter than me. N.T. Wright, noted theologian, says, To agree with Psalm 40 is not, therefore, to say that there's anything wrong with the Old Testament. Guys, don't take that. I'm not saying the Old Testament's wrong. Okay, Or the system it put in place. That system itself declared itself to be temporary. Now, the proper replacement has come. And this is the part I love that N.T. Wright says. Therefore, nobody in their right mind would stay with the temporary one, let alone go back to it, having once experienced a new and permanent dispensation which has come to birth. Nobody in their right mind. Nobody with the mind of Christ. But unfortunately, many Christians still live as if we're under the curse of the law. Listen, listen, he didn't say I came to abolish the law he said I came to break the curse of the law right not in the sense of trying to live holy this is not breaking the curse because we're supposed to live holy it says all over the place live be holy because I'm holy it says that all over the New Testament it's not saying that we don't try to be holy people we in our spirit empowered lives we live holy okay that's not living holy and 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 Following the tenets and commandments inside of Christianity is not a bad thing. And we should quit telling people that you don't have to do anything to follow the Lord. Because Jesus doesn't say that anywhere. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Stop telling people they don't have to do anything to follow Jesus. They have to repent and believe. And then, as Jesus reveals stuff to them, they have to obey. Not as a means to Him, but as a result of the relationship with Him. Christianity has a lot of things that we're supposed to do and not do out of a relationship. But I digress. The curse of the law, the thing that we're redeemed from, is that under the law, sin was never actually dealt with. That's the curse. It's not the rules. The rules aren't the curse. The curse is that the sin was never actually dealt with. There was never really any freedom and healing from the effects of sin. And that is how many Christians are going through life today. Listen, I'll I'll just give it to you straight. Every Sunday... We get up and we say, pursuing Jesus Christ, building his kingdom, or proclaiming his offer of freedom, healing and life, and we have no idea why we're screaming, freedom! No clue. Most of the adults in here who are screaming, freedom, are doing it because Fran taught something about freedom to the teenagers. And the teenagers scream freedom. And so you've just kind of picked it up and started screaming it with them. But you have no idea what freedom actually means. Because you're living under the curse of the law. Because your sin is still defining who you are. This is what I mean by, by Christians wanting to leave the, the past behind differently than I do. Church people, want to, they want to leave it behind by not talking about it because if we bring it up, it's too painful, it hurts, and da 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 And you've not experienced freedom. I'm not who I was. My extramarital affairs do not define me. And if they do define me for you, that's your problem, not mine. Because I'm not living under that curse. I am not a sinner. I am a saint. And I sometimes sin. Under the Old Testament, I was a sinner. But under the New Covenant, my sin has been dealt with permanently. No reminder. No reminder. You can't throw up what I did to me years ago. You can't even throw up what I did to me what I did last week if I've repented of it. It's gone. God doesn't throw it up, why should you? I can't throw up what you did last week if you've repented of it, it's gone. But that's what we live under that curse. And we want to leave it behind, let's not talk about it, it's too painful, it hurts too much. Now look, I'm not trying to be critical here, I'm just trying to to get something set up. Here's what I'm trying to get set up. Sacrifices under the law could never perfect us. Verse 1 clearly says that. But Jesus did perfect us with his self-sacrifice. That's what it says in verse 10. Read it. And by and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You're like, where does it say perfected? It says it right there. Right there in that verse, it says that you have been perfected. You, you, read it again. You're like, I don't see it. I, I don't even see a I don't even see a P word in that verse. Anywhere. Close as we get to it's an O word. Next door neighbor offering, right? Oh, maybe maybe the N-word on the other side of it. No, that's not on the other side of it. Q's <laughs> on the other side of it. Clearly, I don't know my ABCs, so please somebody say them with me. <laughs> so, but, but there's perfection there. Now, you may think I'm taking a pretty big leap here in claiming that Jesus perfected us with his sacrifice. But I promise you that's what that text says actually very clearly. It's easy to overlook in the English. However, in verse 10, the Koine Greek word translated sacrifice is the verb. Don't correct my pronunciation. Hagiasmenoi, And it is the perfect tense, passive voice, participle form. I'm coming back to those. Perfect tense, passive voice, participle form. If you're taking notes, write down perfect tense. Then write down passive voice and write down participle form. You need to write them down. Seriously, this is the key to the whole thing. Perfect tense, passive voice, participle form. If you don't understand anything I've said, you need to understand the mood, the tense, and the voice, and all that stuff, okay? It's perfect tense, passive voice, participle form of the word, Hagiazo, which means to make holy. In this sense, it is to be or become as dedicated to God, either in distinction, devotion, or moral purity. When He has sanctified you, He has made you morally pure. You're like, I don't know, preacher. You got that out of the word sanctified. No, I got that out of the word that we translate sanctified. Haggaiadzmanoi. Now this is the part that you need to write down. Here's the perfect tense. You ready? The perfect tense in the Greek, is the verb tense used by the writer to describe a completed verbal action. So this is to describe a completed action or verb, right? This is the the tense, to describe a completed verbal action that occurred in the past, but which produced a state of being or a result that exists in the present in relation to the writer. In the perfect tense, the emphasis is not on the past action, but on the present state of reality resulting from the action. The tense of this word, hagi is not focused on the past, but it is focused on the present state of the reality because of that. And that word, the brute word for it, means to make holy. He made me holy in the past, and that is a present reality. I am holy. Whether you like it or not. You are holy. Whether you like it or not. Everybody got perfect tense? By the way, this is every perfect tense verb anywhere in the New Testament. It's talking about a past action and its present reality is the focus. What that past action did for you and I right now. Okay, passive voice. This is the grammatical voice that signifies the subject is being acted upon, i.e., the subject is the receiver of the verbal action right and by that we that's the subject of the sentence have been sanctified it means we have been acted upon not our actions somebody else did it to us or for us wow hmm participle Now, some of you are English majors and know what a participle is, and some of you don't, okay? A participle is a word that has the characteristics of both a verb and an adjective. Let me give you a verbal participle. You ready? Shining. If I say, oh, he's shining, that is describing him, but it's also what he's doing. Get it? So, it's describing, oh look, he's shiny, but he is shining. This word, hageosmonoi, oh look, he's, he, he, he is holy, he looks holy, he's positionally holy. Oh, he's actually being holy. Holiness comes forth from him or her. So this, has, so this is something that basically, I want to give you the short version of this. This is something that has already happened to us in the past, but has its primary focus on the current reality in our life. It was done to us by Jesus, not by us for Jesus. It was done to us by Jesus, not by us for Jesus. And it not only describes us, but it is active in us. In other words, as as N.T. Wright puts it, the Old Testament sacrifices could never achieve, ever achieve, never, never, ever achieve. The deep cleansing, the healing of memories and imaginations That the blood of Jesus has achieved and can achieve. They couldn't, in that sense, take sins away, restoring sinful human beings to the actual condition in which their consciences had been rinsed clean, enabling them to stand boldly and gladly in the presence of God. Here I am, God, bold and glad. Here I am, Jesus. Bold and glad in your presence. See, we say, welcome to OCCA, where we're pursuing Jesus Christ, building His kingdom, and proclaiming His offer of freedom, healing, and life. And yet, our past is defining us and we haven't experienced any kind of freedom. We haven't experienced any kind of healing because we're living under this old covenant mentality that what happened to us in the past, the sinful life that we lived, or what somebody else did to us, or all of those things are defining us and driving us and pushing us on. We haven't experienced the freedom and the healing but Jesus' sacrifice on the cross will actually cleanse those things and break the power of those things. And those issues don't have to define you anymore. Let me just tell you, this is the single, I think, I'll say this and then I'll think of something later that's even more frustrating to me. But I think this is the single biggest frustration I have with the, as a pastor. It is the people under my spiritual care clinging to this false identity of who they were before they knew Jesus like it's some kind of prideful arrogant thing to leave it behind and so i can't talk about my sin issues and i can't talk about your sin issues but because that's just bad but i'm like but i'm free It's not who I am. It's not who I am anymore. I'm free from that. Aren't you free from that? Why can't we talk about it? I can talk about my past because it doesn't define me. My hope is that someday you'll be able to talk about your past because it doesn't define you. That you can talk about the problems that you had when you were a kid. That you can talk about the problems you had as an adult. That you can talk about that time in your marriage when it was falling apart. That you can talk about maybe that divorce that you got. And you go, this isn't who I am anymore. This doesn't define me. That you can talk about this sin that was bad. It was bad. But you're forgiven. And it doesn't define you. And you can help other people find freedom, healing, and life. See, people don't believe about this freedom and healing in life. Because they're like, man, you guys are oppressed. You don't experience any freedom, healing, in life, so why would I think that your little freedom, healing, in life is real? Who Who's the singer of that song? Matthew West sings a song. starts off this way, and I think this is how most of us live. Hello, my name's regret. And then it talks about having met talks about hello my name is fear and in the chorus he says no i am child of the risen king jesus broke the curse but many of us have never received that and we're going to have an altar call here in a minute but before we do i want to give you homework for this week sharpen that sword Monday, Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Tuesday, Philippians 3, 12 through 21. Wednesday, Philippians 3, 17 through... We'll come back to that one. Thursday, Luke 9... Fifty-seven. Just read uh, three seventeen to go back to the other one. Three seventeen. Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. I'm like, what? The, it ends right after that. Three seventeen through twenty-one. Three seventeen through twenty-one. Thursday, Luke nine fifty-seven through sixty-two. Friday, Ephesians four nine through sixteen. Saturday, Romans six one through seven. Now, when you read your homework this week, take a note. If you read it. I want you to approach it with the idea that you have been set free and healed from your past. And look at how these passages point out that vital truth to us. One of them, Paul talks about forgetting what's behind. I strain onward towards the prize. He's not saying I never talk about the past. I never deal with any of that kind of stuff. He's saying this doesn't define me anymore. I'm going for victory, baby. Read it with that in mind. Just a moment after I pray, we're going to have an altar call. Because sometimes altar calls are good. I believe wholeheartedly God wants to deliver multiple people today from the bondage to their past for you to never deal with it again. And he's going to use the elders and other people in our church as they lay hands and pray over you to speak that truth into your life. That's so what it says in James confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Hey, this thing has been defining me for years. Short, little, one-sentence thing. Can you pray about that? And then trust, don't explain it in depth, but I'll get to that in just a minute. Let's pray. Father, as we get ready to go through this altar call time, I pray that you would speak to our hearts in a very real way. And, Lord, that instead of just screaming freedom on Sunday morning, we can actually live in freedom. And so in Jesus' name we pray, and God's people said, Amen.